And welcome to Enter VR, the podcast where we talk about everything virtual reality. I'm your host, Chris Miranda, and today I am joined by two uh, scholars and gentlemen of virtual reality, uh, Nathan Burba and James Aliff. Thank you guys for being on the show. Yeah, it's uh, good to be back. Thanks for having us. Oh my god, we're going to have so much fun today um, talking about all sorts of crazy shit. Um, so you guys, again, it's from Servios. Uh, I just wa- got to try uh, a full, the whole package of uh, Zombies on the Holodeck and the hardware, software that you guys are working on. I'm uh, thoroughly blown away. Uh, <laughs> thoroughly blown away. Yeah, you're getting pretty good with that fire. Right? That's, I'm, yeah, you're, well, you're, I'm going to make sure that people see uh, a YouTube video uh, that is going to be linked with this, uh, with this post so that people can see what it is that we're talking about. But jumping right into right quickly, like, who is this designed for? Like, uh, this this zombie on this holodeck. What what is your who is your soft, who is your target audience? Well, yeah, it's probably for this particular demo. It's um, probably going for hardcore gamers and the type of people who might play Call of Duty Zombies or Left 4 Dead, that kind of thing. Um, we have a number of other demos we're working on, like the um, fantasy demo, which is sort of like a Skyrim-inspired thing, and. And then there's um, the uh, Cyberstorm, which is kind of like a almost like a sci-fi Counter-Strike or Unreal Tournament kind of thing. Yeah, an arena shooter. Arena yeah. shooter. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly a lot of different things you could do with this with this well, kind of technology. I don't think James wants to admit it, but this is just us making what we love. Uh, you know, <laughs> we true. we just wanted to make a zombies game. You know, no no audience there. The audience is us basically. Right. And, and then you know, every time we we did our early demos with Wild Skies, um, like Wild Skies was our first game. It was sort of like a Disney style. Like airship, like pirate style game, um, but every time we did that, people would always say, "Oh man, this is cool." But what if you did zombies? And <laughs> yeah. so it's like, well, you know, people keep saying that. So I want to do zombies. Give the people, want. <laughs> Give the people what they want. Definitely. <laughs> exactly. There is, there is. At this point, your your mentality is there's no timeline. It's ready when it's when it's ready. You know. Uh, in, term, in terms of when people can actually get their hands on this. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's obviously you know there's some there's some. There's certain external variables, you know, like we um, we wouldn't want to launch anything until the six cent stem is in circulation and people can actually order it and mm-hmm. since it's in production. That's not going to happen until July. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we have our own internal deadlines for adding more things to zombies, like expanding the level and that kind of stuff, um, adding new mechanics. Um, but yeah, I mean, we definitely want to push this out to the community as soon as, as, soon as we can. But, yeah, it's important that people are able to get the, the full Servios experience, and that's our, our end goal is to get that experience out to as many people as possible. Can you, can you, are you, are you guys able to speak up, uh, on whether there will be a, an extra peripheral uh, to, to, to bring about with the experience, uh, or, or too early to tell? It's, it's a bit early. Um, so we're basically uh, looking at, you know, the experience that you had, uh, you know, the kind of full-body, wireless, stand-up, fully immersive experience uh, you know, we can uh, write up a little document that tells people, hey, you know, buy buy uh, all you know, these parts and, and, and write this custom software and, and do all these things to get it working. But really, we want to get that out to people in, in, a, in a much easier fashion that they're able to actually play games without all the hassle of, of developing custom technology for it. So. Right, right. But in the meantime, you can have, you know, almost as immersive an experience as you did with the Rift and the, and the Sixth Sense hardware combined. Right. Um, it's not going to be as... Um, as a, as large of a play space, but it can be pretty close. What are your your biggest biggest technical challenges right now um, that you have to go through? Um, well, that's a good question. Hmm. You know, from the hardware side, I mean, we're working with a number of different sensors. Obviously, we don't have the Sixth Sense uh, stem yet; it's not out yet. And uh, we're working with uh, some other technology that we've uh, built ourselves. Uh, you know, we have. Uh, IMUs we're using optical tracker, an optical tracker, and uh, basically just not having the stem yet is our biggest issue. Um, so we get, you know, IMUs have a little bit of drift. Uh, the, the rift itself has some drift. We actually have an IMU for the chest and an IMU in the rift. They both drift differently. Um, yeah. So it's uh, basically it's uh, very much a, a work in progress. Right, and the, the optical tracker isn't perfect. So you know, there's a number of things that we we want to replace. Uh, eventually. From a from a design perspective, are you uh, how different is it to to design a game for for a platform that uh, quite frankly doesn't yet exist? I mean, um, we're making the platform as we make the game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, are you having to rethink the way you 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 make games? You think about games? Is that is that been difficult? Oh yeah, I mean that's a big part of it that we've we've been doing that since day one. You know, mm-hmm. um, the game design informs the hardware that we choose to work with, and then the hardware that we work with 
also informs the game design. So there's a bit of a cycle that goes back and forth, and eventually you can you can uh, you can reach a holy grail for something that that actually works really well in most instances, and that's what we're going for. Yeah, we're kind of always developing new kind of uh, new grammar for how you play a game, what certain things mean. Like you said, when you're in there, re, re kind of uh, reteaching you how to play a game using realistic mechanics instead of using mechanics that are abstractions, like pressing a button on a controller. It's a lot more uh, you know. It's a lot more realistic, so we have to develop things that are different. How do you plan on, you know, so so you you sort of have to reteach yourself in in making the game. How do you play on plan on uh, reteaching the player to to play to experience the the game differently? Um, will there be will that be a hurdle for you guys to to it, cross? There's two ways people learn. Uh, they learn through um, well, actually, I'm sorry. There's three ways they learn. They learn through experimentation. They learn through um, actual pedagogy and, and actually teaching them. And then they learn by seeing other people do it. So pedagogy is obviously, you know, going through a tutorial. That's the worst way of learning something. So we're hoping that, uh, you know, we can make a system that's intuitive enough that people can learn through experimentation and learn through seeing other people do it. Yeah, I mean, there could be a tutorial sequence where, I mean, it's not your conventional tutorial sequence, but you at least teach people... How the like how this like the the system works and and the, the whole the system of game mechanics and interactions and and make that a lot easier. So the the gun range scene was was very much kind of our first foray into that is, is having a calm, relaxing environment where people can interact with different weapons, for instance, and just learn how those work. And usually you you pick it up pretty pretty quickly as as long as you know how to use the buttons, then you you, you learn how all the different interactions function. Pretty fast. Nice. In terms of uh, you know, this one, this is one of the questions that 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 got brought up at the San Francisco VR meetup that you guys were presenting uh, just a couple days ago. And, and someone asked, uh, "What is the difference between uh, what you guys are doing and and the guys at VRcade?" Um, and and I, I'm sure you answered it pretty well. So I'd like to you know put it out there with the podcast. Sure. Yeah. I mean, what VRcade is doing is really 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 cool. I mean, I can't wait to try it out myself. Um, they're using, of course, much more robust motion capture hardware in a installation space, like a retail space. Um, what we're focusing on is simply more consumerized hardware. So we're trying to, to reach, you know, the, the basically have as much immersion as possible um, for a much, much lower um, expense and price point and be able to use uh, consumer hardware at the end of the day. Um, but, you know, if you, if you went to, um, if you had a full motion capture volume, and uh, a mocap suit and trackers and that kind of thing, it would be that much more immersive, which would be all equally awesome, you know? Yeah. What would be, uh, what is, what is, what is you guys' ultimate goal with, with Servios right now? I mean, it's basically to, uh, to take the experience that you just had and get that out to as many people as possible mm -hmm. and, and kind of make that the new standard for gaming. So we're trying to bring, we're trying to bring the magic back to video games, make it, when you, when you actually, when you first buy something and you, and you try it out, you have that, holy crap, this is something I've never experienced before, that kind of giddiness. Uh, because we feel that you know games that have come out. I mean, it's it, it's been the same thing for a little while now. Yeah. Uh, the games haven't the game hasn't changed in a, in, a, in, a, in a little while. Yeah. Will that? I mean, was is that is that something that you guys see as an obstacle that people are so used to this current paradigm of gaming? Um, and then here you come, you guys, uh, completely out of left field with something no one has ever seen before, or tried before. Um, well, does that does that worry you at all, or are you ready for that for that challenge? I, I I love the challenge because I think people are waiting for something like this. Mm -hmm. So the fact that people are are so used to traditional gaming paradigms makes it even more exciting because when they see something new that actually works, that's actually really fun, they get that much more excited. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, we kind of see this as delivering on the the promise of of uh, like the Kinect and the PS Move and the Wii and all the previous uh, motion tracking systems that have. That have uh, come out before this is you know like back in you know 2005 2006 2007 when you, when you saw these these new ways of playing games coming out you're like holy shit I can be in the game like like with the Kinect you thought oh wow I can see my body in the game um, but then it, it doesn't quite live up to that that excitement mm -hmm. um, and the same with the Wii is like you feel like you can actually um, interact with with one to one tracking but in reality it's 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 not and it's just so I guess all, like all the systems and and all the ways of playing games before this. It's been really exciting that we've been experimenting with, with new modes of play, but they never quite lived up to the, the vision that they proposed. Mm -hmm. And we, we just feel like that having a fully immersive, fully tracked system is, is finally that holy grail that you can reach. 
How, so 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 let's play let's play a, a, a thought experiment. Let's pretend I am, am your your average guy uh, at Target at Best Buy, um, and you and you are trying to get me to try out uh, Zombies on a Holodeck. How how would you how do you how do you how do you entice me? How do you you know how do you get me to try it? You know what would you say? We'd probably just show a video of of, of you hacking zombies to pieces with that axe. That might <laughs> be enough to get someone to try it. You know, like Nate said, just seeing someone else do it and seeing the excitement there, um, and seeing the the extra dimension of actually being able to aim guns just like you would in real life or, or interact with things realistically. That's that's exciting enough. We feel like just to at least get get your um, you know someone who may, maybe they're VR averse, but it'd be interesting to to try to convert them. Definitely, I think in my in my opinion, I think one of the things that is going to make VR very successful will be the uh, incorporation of multiplayer experiences. Are you thinking about incorporating a uh, multiplayer? Most definitely, uh, Zombies in the Holodeck will at the very least be co-op. Um, because we really like co-op gameplay a lot, but yeah, I see uh, virtual reality being tremendous in multiplayer. Uh, you know, multiple people going online. Man, you know, imagine a VR MMO where you're able to go on with thousands of people and actually feel like you're in the world and have interactions that actually they're not your kind of standard World of Warcraft, EverQuest, mud-based interactions. Uh, you know, multi-user dungeon. They're much more advanced interactions uh, where you're actually able to run around, jump on things, pick up objects, fight each other, have sword fights in the middle of a street surrounded by thousands of people, mm -hmm. and actually feel like you're there uh, I think multiplayer is it multiplayer is something that it, it, for us it's all about increasing immersion mm -hmm. really good game design increases immersion really good uh, you know head, head mounted display and, and motion tracking increases immersion and, and multiplayer as well so it's all about pushing the level of immersion in every possible way up as high as possible so you get that amazing feeling like you feel like you're actually there have you guys have you guys hit a limit yet in terms of the technology in terms of you, you know uh, physical limitations have you like bat for example battery life? I don't know. Have the only the only actual limit that we've hit is well, there's two limits. There's low latency, right? You can only push the latency so down so low until it becomes basically like real life, and you can't make it more immersive based on latency. Uh, and then um, another thing is uh, the screens that they have developed today. The one you see in the Oculus Rift or a lot of other head mounts only go up to 60 FPS. Mm -hmm. So we that's a limit there that we, they're working with display manufacturers to get past that. So it's like, okay, 60 FPS feels like this. What is 90 FPS locked in and V-Synced? feel like in VR. Uh, so we're, it's always about pushing the boundaries of everything uh, to get as realistic as possible and to feel as really good as possible in the system. Just sort of off topic, but like, um, uh, have you guys tried the Alpengant Glyph? Uh, yeah, we've tried the Glyph. We tried it at CES. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, I uh, got to... It's interesting how you're... It's a lot easier on the eyes, you know. It's, it's not actually putting a screen in front of your face. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the field of view was tiny, but the, 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 the image within that field of view is super crisp. And I, I saw a video of, like, sea turtles floating around. And, and I, I would imagine if I was, you know, riding on the bus or an airplane and I wanted to watch some cool 3D content, that's yeah. totally what I'd pick up. Yeah, yeah the Glyph is... It seems like the Glyph is a very nice 3D viewer, um, mm -hmm. but it's, it's definitely not... It's different. It's in a different category than something like the Rift. The Rift is an immersive viewer. I wonder. I wonder if the uh, this is something that I thought about. Like, what if uh, what if the glyph technology of using the micro mirrors to shoot light into your eye? Um, I wonder if that could be uh, if that could somehow, some ways, in the future, replace the lenses that Oculus works with. Because you know, I wonder if if that is that even a possibility. I I mean, I think I don't know if it is based on the technology that they have. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it's physically possible. My gut tells me no, mm -hmm. uh, but I could be wrong. I know with the Rift. So what you get with the Glyph is the colors are really nice, and you don't see the pixels. Mm -hmm. So if you do uh, like a 4K head mounted display, which I know Oculus is working, everyone's working on 4K. You know, they're trying to push it to 4K. Uh, that that right there is probably equivalent to something that uses non-screen technology. So they're all kind of pushing to the same to the same point. Um, but I don't know enough about the glyph to say whether or not they would be able to push past 45 degrees or 40 degrees, which is what they have right now. Because hmm. I wonder if, 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 the, if the Oculus, you know, is, is limiting itself uh, by, using, by using lenses. But, it, but then again, I haven't used the glyph, and, and, and yet, the, you know, and I don't know if, if it's even possible for the glyph to do the things that, the, you know, the motion tracking that Oculus can pull off. Yeah, I have to, you're, you're not talking to the exact correct person uh, <laughs> about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, it could be. I mean, maybe eventually you could have a really, really wide field of view, but... 
I think mm-hmm. I, I think the way it has to literally shoot the light into your eyes, something having to do with that makes it more difficult for it to shoot uh, light into your eye at an angle and, and to be able to get the immersive uh, viewing. Uh, but we'll see what Avagon does. We'll see if uh, they can tackle that problem. What about the issue of locomotion in VR? Uh, how, how are you guys uh, tackling or thinking about that problem um, or that particular aspect of VR? Um, well, in our games up until now, we've been uh, experimenting with using a play space like with the Zombies demo, but combining it with uh, traditional joystick movement. So you'd be able to move around in a, in a larger level, just like any traditional first-person shooter. But uh, you'd also have a play space that you could uh, move around in, and basically you could duck and crouch and do all those things that you want to do. Um, so it'd be sort of a combined system in that sense. Mm-hmm. And then you'd be blending traditional animation with... Uh, with your actual movements, with your body, and that, and that kind of thing. And the key is to make it so it feels really good to use a joystick to move around and kind of seamlessly blend the two. Kind of like a good example of, of, of the research that we're doing to make that actually feel good is uh, view bobbing in, in FPS, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, view bobbing is one of those things that someone discovered made it feel a little bit better to walk around in an FPS. We have to kind of discover what those little, tiny, very subtle things are for right. VR to make it feel better to, to joystick around a little bit. It does happen to turn out that VR bobbing is actually a bad thing. You don't actually want to bob the camera when you're moving. That, right, exactly. That causes nausea. But so, as an example of something that makes something feel natural, it's a, that's a good template to refer to, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's other little things, subtle things that we can do to make it. One of them is, is simply making you move a lot more slowly. Uh, so you're not you're not uh, super powered uh, kind of UT or Quake style zooming around the level. It's much more of a you're walking around to kind of explore and get from point A to point B. Mm. Um, so the VR experiences are fundamentally different, and so it's kind of uh, figuring out what the right not just the right variables, but other little subtle things to make it feel good. Have you guys uh, experimented or thought about implementing AR augmented reality with your hardware software sometime? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's yeah. certainly some some advantage to be had with with AR. Especially when you're like walking outside of the play space, having it switch to an AR mode so you can see your actual room yeah. would be really useful. So it'd be just a really uh, natural way um, to basically prevent yourself from running into a wall if you wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been talking uh, with Leap Motion. Uh, we really like what they're doing, um, and uh, you know, get, using cameras in general. Uh, uh, and then whether or not we get some uh, glyphs on certain things. You know, we're trying to see how AR can enhance our core experience, but also not get in the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main problem with most AR is that it's just not a high enough, uh, there's not a high enough bandwidth of how it tracks things. Uh, you know, if AR could be instant and seamless, then it'd be great. But that's what everyone, everyone has in their head, instant and seamless AR. Mm-hmm. And then the reality of AR is always that it's laggy and, and kind of terrible. So uh, we'll see. With the smartphones and stuff. With, primarily with smartphones, but with, you know, most AR devices have to do complex image processing, which just takes time. And so it's, uh, it can't be seamless because of that uh, oftentimes. What are you guys' biggest influences in terms of the why you're doing this? That's a good question. Um, I, I think, you know, it's funny because I didn't really do a lot of VR stuff growing up. In fact, I always had, I always wanted to. I always had in my mind, like, Oh, this must be so cool! I'll I'll try it. Um, but I never really had. I, I don't know. That, that's a really good question. I think it's a, once again for me personally. It's I like um, I like playing sports. I like the ideas behind uh, kind of um, martial arts and and things like sword fighting. I always wanted to have a lightsaber fight. All right, so I, I kind of have a uh, it's an anecdote about this. Um, so uh, the guy uh, in the first Phantom, the Phantom Menace movie, right, in Star, uh, Star Wars The Phantom Menace, um, Qui-Gon Jinn, who was played by Liam Neeson, Liam Neeson, Liam Neeson and um, – oh, no, I'm sorry. It was the second film. It was Liam Neeson. No, I'm sorry. Oh, I always mess this up. Liam Neeson and then the guy who played Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, uh, the guy from Train, uh, Train Spotting. Yeah, uh, uh, Ewan McGregor. Yeah, yeah, uh, Ewan McGregor. So basically while they were fighting um, on set for the Star Wars film – they, uh, I'm reading about this, they actually unconsciously would make lightsaber noises while they were fighting, just while they were actually filming the scenes, because it was just so fucking cool. That they almost did it naturally, because that um, they're just reliving their, their dreams of being in Star Wars. And, and that's kind of a good example of what we're, we're trying to go after, is that... Feeling that that feeling that you had as a five-year-old on a playground when you really thought you were Wolverine from the X-Men or really thought you were Luke Skywalker—that it's kind of 
taking that really bodily feeling, it's a combination of fantasy and and, and, and almost like sports to me, uh, or sports or, or, or martial arts or sword fighting, and bringing those, or gunplay actually, and bringing those two together into this kind of completely new genre. So I think when, when, when James and I realized that this was possible, the idea was very, it was just very nice, I don't know, it, we kind of realized how important it would be and how groundbreaking it would be. So it wasn't something that I was, I, I, I set off 10 years ago to, to, to make some sort of VR device. It's just when we realized the technology was there and this was possible, we kind of had this holy shit moment. Mm-hmm. So that's at least for me. Yeah, I've just been obsessed since since childhood about virtual reality, so it's something I've always wanted to do and I really couldn't be happier. Is there a movie that you look up to when it comes, you know, that 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 stands out above the rest or a particular book? I mean, I read Snow Crash when I was really young. I read a lot of the other um, VR books and... Um, yeah, sure. I mean, that was always really inspiring. Yeah. Uh, but then when I, what really sparked my interest was when I started realizing that that film sets were starting to use virtual reality-like interfaces. Like uh, I, there's, I saw this talk at USC a couple years back, like back in 2009, or, or no, it was, it was 2010. It was right when I transferred there. Um, <clears throat> and he was talking about the Avatar set where they had the entire planet of uh, Pandora uh, rendered, kind of like um, it, was, it, it was all just kind of rendered beforehand in this giant world that the actors would then transpose themselves in. So you'd have the actors playing on a set with motion capture suits on. And then you could look through a screen and see the actors fully rendered as the Avatar characters in a fully rendered world. Um, And it it obviously didn't look as good as the movie, but the world was there. And so the director could see them interact in the scene as it would look, kind of like it would look in the movie. Like a live previs. Uh, like a live previs kind of thing. And then they started, what they started doing is they started putting um, head mount displays on the actors. Whoa. So this was, um, so then they could actually see the world too. So they're actually creating fully immersive VR with a motion capture stage mm-hmm. with HMDs on a film set strictly for the purpose of shooting a film. And then it was just like, well, what? Wh- why couldn't you make that experience available to to an audience like wouldn't the audience want to explore that world like the actors are more so than just watching the movie Um, and that's that's when I started realizing holy shit you know we have the technologies here you know motion capture stages can create perfect avatar embodiment Um, HMDs are are getting better and better than when when Nathan and I were were working with Palmer and and he had a lot of his early prototypes Um, he was making better and better prototypes and he said I can make a I can make a an, an HMD that's wider field of view than anything out there that's super cheap and I'm going to do it with these components and, and he put it together and, and he did and now we have the Oculus Rift so it's clearly like it's like now's the time for this to, to finally um, for this vision to come true and and so yeah so I've just I've been following the trail ever since I was so young and back in the 90s and and uh, now it's just really exciting to see it all come to light. Um, in terms of it, I don't know this is a this is a crazy <laughs> idea. Uh, it, do you is there any way, shape, or form that uh, your software hardware could be used also for uh, content creation for people who want, who you know just like how people put out YouTube videos of themselves with their webcams, you know now they could use you know Servios's hardware to you know render themselves out in the in the world and you know create the next generation red versus blue sort of. I think the the possibilities for machinima are tremendous. Uh, I mean, this could act, there could actually be uh, if the tool set's robust enough. So there's um, a lot of uh, random di- different things, uh, you know, body mechanics, natural language processing, uh, you know, uh, faking a lot of uh, facial expressions, blending animation with body information. But if we can uh, nail a lot of those different things for the purposes of playing online games with each other and you know, high fiving each other in a, in a virtual online world, we can go one step further and actually have uh, realistic mouth movement and, and eye movement and all these things to actually be able, it's almost like a, a virtual puppetry. Um, I do think we, we could have a system, almost like a source filmmaker type thing, uh, built in where you could have probably the most robust machinima interface possible. And you can actually film people in VR who are acting out scenes or even go further and have it. I, I always like the idea of uh, having a kind of an online shooter esports type of thing. But then uh, you're actually filming it from kind of cinematic camera angles inside of the world while people are actually fully running around and fighting each other. And then the great thing is you can 
see the cameras. That's the most important thing people always forget. If you ever do something with a, like a, a live audience or um, you know, you, you, like a, usually a, a sitcom will do this, you can actually see the cameras. People who are on camera know where cameras are and they know how to act toward the camera. They know how to stage themselves on camera. And so it's important for esports that the people playing know where the camera is inside of the virtual world and they can actually look at the camera look at the audience and kind of tell them you know hey watch this or you know give them a thumbs up uh -huh. before they then like shoot a guy or, or, or you know punch someone they're playing maybe like an online you know brawling game or something um so all of that is kind of uh it, there's a possibility of making amazing machinima and, and a, a kind of a completely new era of esports as well when are the first leagues going to get formed how, how long before we start seeing esports leagues and, and teams and uh, you know million dollar contracts being well, signed for uh, you gotta have you gotta have two things you gotta have the platform right you have to have the standard platform uh, that everyone can have and, and play and everything then you have to have a game built on top of that and again the game has to be so robust it has to be StarCraft two level of robustness or League of Legends you know really robust. Um, and it has to be, you know, fair and balanced. And it has to be a super breaking. balanced game. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then, and, and then, turn it into an esport. And then once you have that, you have to have the esports stuff built on top of you. Have to have, be able to watch people playing from different camera angles and have the virtual cameras and all sorts of things. And then when you have those, when you have those pieces in place, then you get the badass teams of five people who all have different avatars and they all have different personalities. And you're, you, you know, they're being interviewed in virtual reality about stuff after games. You know, <laughs> and, like you see this like giant, like six foot five, like crazy guy with a chainsaw being interviewed after a game in, in VR and of course you cut to like who the guy actually is it's like a 12 year old you know and he's like four <laughs> feet tall and you know like that that um that future is uh you know if if, if we do all this stuff right that's a few years away yeah and, you know i look at uh I, I look at sports currently and and a lot of sports are going through this controversy of, of uh head injury brain injuries uh you know even soccer you know just hitting the ball with your head like you get minor my, you know, micro like concussion yeah yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and i feel like it's it's gonna get harder and harder for society to reconcile this this need to do primal you know things with our bodies um and and perhaps you know Esports might fill in that that gap, that need for people to have a physicality and, and also do wizardry with with computer computer tools. Um, but is, you know, is there another obstacle to esports? Is there something that you know that that might be you know that might turn people off from it? Um, that's an interesting question. Uh, well, I'm sure. I mean, sure, you know, all all the cool stuff we work on, it's not for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, you mean like turned off from watching it, or turned off from Participating in uh, it, or? I mean, like, a, you mean like a traumatic brain injury or something? Yeah, I wonder if there's uh, like a blowback. Yeah, if there's if there's uh, like a yeah. Oh. I mean, you know, uh, staying inside too much. The classic things that people say that vi that video games are bad. I'm pretty sure it applies to virtually any technological thing that you do. Um, I mean, you know, people training for too long and you know, uh, eye strain or something like that. Um, I, I I can see some of those things happening. But as far as I'm concerned, the, the people who talk about talk a little bit too much about about brain injury it's important that everyone is very upfront about everything the nfl needs to be very upfront trying to you know reduce all of that but at the end of the day you're reducing it um you're not curing it and we need to accept that because frankly we're all going to die anyway so you can't i mean you can't stop everyone it's like it's like a, the mother who won't let his kid outside to play because she's worried he's going to scrape his knees i mean you know at a certain point it's like come on now we're gonna yeah. have mothers who are afraid to let their kids play vr because they're worried it's going to cause brain damage. Yeah, well, everyone's worried that everyone, everything causes everything. Yeah. You know. I mean, the example I always use is uh, cell phones will heat up your brain. I think it's like two degrees after talking uh, on the phone for about 20 or 30 minutes. Huh. Um, it'll actually, it's literally heating up your brain because it's a very powerful cell transmitter, uh, you know, electromagnetic transmitter uh, inside the cell phone you're holding right next to your skull, uh. right? But we use cell phones, we have cell phones. We do crazy stuff all the time. So and, use and, headphones when you talk to people. Yeah, actually, no. Seriously, I don't hold my cell phone up to my head because of that. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, all of the, not just technology, but sports and everything, the things we eat. I mean, it all affects our body in, in mostly negative ways, sometimes positive ways. And uh, that's, give, that's life. Give me you guys is what it, don't hold back. What is your ultimate vision for virtual reality your your you know if there was a pie in the sky dream what is your pie in the sky dream for this mm. for the technology as a whole you mean without 
barriers with hardware? Or? Yeah, like being money not being a problem, uh, political lobbies and laws not being a problem, uh, adoption rates not being a problem. What what is the ultimate you know vision of what this thing could be? Well, I mean, I think for most people, it's it's the holodeck from Star Trek or or the Matrix or, or whatever. Um, and you know that's a that's a conventional idea to fall back on, but or or the metaverse or, or any any number of metaphors that you come up with for this type of experience. But it's it's the you know having the full immersion in you know a fantasy world that you can create anything that you like and, and feel like you can uh, travel anywhere you want to and and feel completely present in a different character in a different world. I think that's that's ultimately what we all would like to. Have. I think a lot of the the VR media, uh, literature or you know the shows, yeah, have, they've, yeah, a lot of them have focused on the kind of cerebral aspects of right. the VR storytelling and meeting new characters and that sort of thing. But I look at it much more from the the, the bodily kind of um, kind of excitement, uh, think running, jumping, uh, punching, kicking, shooting, all those things, um, kind of like. Uh, so it's more visceral than cerebral. Yeah, it's visceral. It's bringing that kind of visceral humanity. It's like a combination of like ultra visceral, like the way a barbarian warrior felt when he like went up and like you know cleaved his axe into somebody. It's like it's like that plus an adventure on a completely exotic world that you you've never been before. It's like it's almost like go to Mars and you know uh, it's like John Carter. That's how it, that's what it's like. It's a combination of being somewhere you've never been before and and doing things that reignite your latent humanity. The, the really the physical presence. Um, that those that's kind of the what I see VR because you can't. I mean, you, there's no wars to fight anymore, right? For the most part, there's some wars, but you know, there's not going to be another world war really. Well, uh, I don't know. Eh, maybe with a, I don't know. I mean, I. I think we actually diffused the whole Iran thing that might uh, because of uh, WikiLeaks and everything like that. That's actually been somewhat diffused, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't think because we're so interconnected now, we're yeah. pretty much one world. Having world wars doesn't seem like a, a possibility. So I think uh, there's the there's not that grand kind of physical human adventure anymore. So that's what VR is going to bring to us. It's going to make us feel human again. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think we've been uh, we've. Uh, domesticated ourselves to be uh, accommodating to this to these cities we've built and these worlds where we're we're inside of these concrete jungles and and, and yeah well, you 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 have your nine to five job you wake up you uh, you get your coffee you're caffeinated you get through your day and rinse and repeat for five six days a week um, and I don't know personally I don't know if that's if that feels if that's what humanity yeah. was meant to do. Yeah, you got to have a moment, like a lot of people will say, you got to rage out, right? Mm -hmm. right? Why are you raging out? Because that's what human beings do. You know, it's a fundamental human thing. So uh, being able to rage out and explore at the same time and use your full body in doing it is, is something that I've always wanted for a long time. You know, when I play, when I actually want to feel like I'm somewhere else, I want to feel like I'm actually physically there. I want to feel like I can, you know, it's like when you go play capture the flag with your friends in the forest and you're like hiding under like some shrubs or something and hoping that no one, and then someone sees you and then you jump up and you're running across a field and people are yelling at you, like that kind of stuff that is, gets more rarer and rarer today. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah, I don't think we're that far away from the cavemans. And, and yeah, I, and, and, and in my opinion, I think that humanity, human beings, you can't tell them no. You can't say no. Stop doing. Stop drinking alcohol. Stop. The prohibition didn't work. Uh, and so, so what? What VR could do is is channel those 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 primate primal needs to to explore, to run, to fight, to to war. You know, and and put them in places where it's you know it's a bloodless, seamless thing. I was inside the zombies on the holodeck, and I, and I felt like blowing zombies' heads off felt. Relaxing, felt really. I it's felt cathartic. Yeah, I felt like, oh, this is this. Oh man, all the stress that I had going on. I, yeah, it's it, it's it's a good feeling, and, and and so if 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 you guys could try to anticipate the the positive impacts of, of virtual reality on a, on the macro level, what do you think it it might be? That's a great question. Um, Huh. I mean, I guess it probably just amplifies the positive effects of other forms of media. So, I mean, I've heard of stories of, uh, uh, you know, certain communities. Uh, what is it? Um, I think Israeli and Palestinian communities where uh, people end up making friends with each other on Xbox Live. And it actually, like, it keeps them indoors. It keeps them out of trouble. And then it's kind of like the, the video games in, in general and media in general is very much 
Well, frankly, it's a pacifying thing. I mean, when you when you get your bloodlust, when you get your rocks off with your with bloodlust in a game, when you step outside in the morning, you don't feel like you need to do that. You know, you know, like it gets the it gets well, all I think, that and I also think energy there's, out. There's ways to look at it besides having content that's ultra violent. Yeah, we keep talking about um, blood. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, Nate Nate's talking about you know raging out and, and bloodlust and you know to some extent, yeah, that's there's definitely that that pacifying effect. But at the same time, there could be you know, um, very beautiful and, and transcendent experiences and, and that aren't based on aggression or violence. And maybe, maybe you want to have like a virtual pet sort of experience where you take care of your virtual Bengal tiger every day or, mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, like we've seen all kinds of, um, of like pet based and, and, and exploration based media coming out. That's also, you know, equally entertaining and equally pacifying in a, in a different way. So there's certainly lots of um, lots of themes to explore and and lots of um, lots of different ways to to make it better, but it doesn't just have to be violence. I guess is my point. Yeah, that, that's one. I know I want to add that example. one asterisk to the conversation. <laughs> it doesn't have to be just violence. Although we do personally enjoy violent games, um, I totally see you know other games being well, equally exciting. And I think also in, in terms of what James is saying, it helps us connect with each other. Games are, are kind of a form of communication that allow people to connect with each other that you know they, they're, they're not really able to do in other ways. When you play an online game with someone, especially if you can't be with someone in, in reality, if they're miles and miles away, you go play an online game with the, with the other person, you get to communicate with them, you get to collaborate with them at a very high level. There's avatar embodiment, so you actually spatially feel together. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You have the kind of spatial relationship with them that you only normally do in real life. And you don't get any spatial relationship with someone on Skype. You don't get it over the phone. You don't get it you know, sending messages to each other. It's only through games that you really get that and, and and what we're doing kind of amplifies that and really makes it uh, mu- that much more powerful. I uh, I agree completely. I think uh, I think b- b- before I go, get back to that point, I think that you know as a medium of, of telling stories and, and being able to uh, distribute information, I think this is the next evolution. I think that what journalism currently needs today is a way for us to experience empathy uh, through and, and, and see the world through the eyes of the people that that don't have lawyers and lobbies and and, 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 and vast amounts of money to catch our attention on the news. I want to see the world through the eyes of an African child soldier because that person's life matters to me. Uh, because we're all we're all fucking human. We're all we're all on the same team. And, and and really, I think that what we're missing in society today is that ability to put ourselves in the shoes of other people and and try to internalize like what would it really feel like to be a woman in Saudi Arabia? What would it really feel like to be a, a child garment worker in Bangladesh? I don't. I can't. It's hard for me, you know. And I, yeah, I think the the best medium that has done that that puts you in someone else's shoes. I mean, obviously, novels have done that. Film, I think, does it tremendously well. A really, you know, one or two really directed film scene, well directed film scenes, can can make you start to cry, feeling for one person or another person. And yeah, immersive uh, immersive journalism is kind of the term, the term that's used. And Nani De La Pena with her work at, at USC and other places um, is, is spearheading some of that stuff. Yeah, I think that there's the possibility for you know, uh, I mean, I guess you could say like Roger Ebert would say that empathy is the most important, you know, uh, deliverable that, that kind of comes from art. And uh, there's definitely the ability to deliver a lot of empathy with this medium as well. Yeah. Um, and so to play the devil's advocate, because you, we, we and take a step back to what you said earlier, how, you know, these these avatar interactions, it feels like you're there with someone else. You know, playing devil's advocate, someone's going to say, well, why don't you meet them in real person? You know. In real life, How would you yeah. respond to that? Sure, go do that too. <laughs> and and what's also like, I can't be a giant like you know, I, I, we can't be together as like one giant mutant monster and one giant robot smashing buildings together in real life. I mean, just the possibility, the 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 fantasy of all the different crazy stuff you can do in the virtual world. I mean, it just gives you more things you can do. I, real life is cool. Don't get me wrong. I like being I'm in real life right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, people want to escape and they want to do things that are not. Yeah, you know, possible in real life. At what point? Sorry, change. No, there you go. At what point do you guys think it's you know someone? And I'm sure this is probably too early to tell, but at what point do you guys think someone is harming themselves by being in VR too long? How do how can you tell whether someone is not doing themselves a favor by four hours, four hours a day? 
That's too uh, much. That's probably the max. Yeah. I think it, it depends on what you're doing. <laughs> I mean, that's that's all you gotta say. You know, <laughs> I go over four hours a day. I mean, you know, human being is just a collection of different parts and different. You know, your eyes might get strained at one point, or your, you know, uh, different. It all depends on like, uh, you know, your your face might start hurt after hurting after a few hours of wearing something. Uh, but that's different for everyone. From kind of, I, I think, I mean, there's two different ways of thinking about this. There's the collection of parts, all the different things going on in your body, and there's one really important part, your brain. Uh, and so maybe you're you asking more for it from like a brain standpoint, or more from like because uh... like think about it, like if you're like how long should you watch a movie, right? How long mm-hmm. should you not you know not uh, after how long should you stop watching a movie? Well, it's not that you're uh, you're not watching a movie anymore. It's it's you're sitting for too long, right? Yeah. Or you're sitting and you're looking at something that strains your eyes in a certain way too long. It's mm-hmm. not movies in and of themselves that make you. You know, that can't be done for a certain period of time. It's just the, the how movies are delivered and the mechanics involved of using your body to watch a movie. So the same thing goes for, for any medium, whether it's reading a book or, uh, you know, uh, playing a VR game. For example, with reading a book, you shouldn't read a book for too long because, you know, your, your butt will hurt from sitting for too long. Right? Yeah. Once you stand up and start reading it. With, with our medium, uh, you know, you can stand up and actually do something. So the sitting thing doesn't happen. But I'm sure there's other things that would hurt you if you did them for too long as well. Definitely. Now, the brain one is different because every everything reacts to your brain in a certain way. And especially over time, you can develop habits that can then have a ripple effect, you know, good or bad. If you, if you have a habit where you like to run a lot, well, the ripple effect of that habit probably means that um, you have, you're, you're healthy, right? Yeah. You know, that's a good, uh, a good thing to come out of that. Um, uh, we don't know what the, the effects of uh, long-term, you know, being in VR for four hours a day every single <coughs> day are. Um, they're probably similar to just playing more video games, uh, but standing when you do so. Yeah. Is there is there a way to 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 quantify the quality of a VR uh, experience or or, or 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 demo at this point? You count how many times someone said that was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Three awesomes is really good. <laughs> uh, that means that it's really awesome. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Well, then um, if they say it's really awesome, then a, like, a really awesome is worth two awesomes. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, it's, I it is. You're kind of poking fun of the fact that, but yeah, it, it's hard to quantify how people feel um, after they play it. I mean, usually, as, if it's a strong sense of presence and it's and it's a visceral experience, then yeah, it's then it's it's great. Um, yeah, yeah. Great, that, great, I mean, great is worth half of an awesome. Right, um, and it's really, really awesome. <laughs> I have to say, your logic um, is flawless. Uh, it truly is. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's it's so subjective. It's hard to scientifically quantify. But yeah. I'm sure if you ask people enough questions with a survey, which we've attempted to do on a number of occasions, you can get close to having an you know an objective understanding of of someone's experience. But yeah, but yeah I mean, it's certainly something to work on. What will what what do you think will make VR games uh will make or break them? Will will it be the, definitely the gameplay mechanics? Will it be will it be a design? Will it be story? I I think um hmm. I, I think delivering on what the platform promises. So I think what has made or break broken game systems previously is they say oh it works like this and and you can use it like this. Uh, you know, if you look at something like the Kinect, it's like, oh, your body's transformed into the world, and it's so immersive, and it's, it's all of these things. And then when you – and then so you think that, like James, James said this before, then you actually try it, and it's kind of cool, but it's not really what you thought. Mm-hmm. That, that schism right there is what VR cannot have. In fact, right now, I think VR – I think this uh, – our demo right now over-delivers. It actually – you initially think like, oh, it's probably going to be pretty cool. Then you try it. It's actually really cool, mm-hmm. you know? So – that right there, um, and making sure that we underpromise and overdeliver, as opposed to overpromise and underdeliver, which a lot yeah. of systems in the past have done. And VR did in the past. And VR, oh my God, VR yeah. in the '90s, you know, the promise was insane, and the delivery was terrible. Yeah. The schism right. it was massive. So making sure that that schism is either as small as possible or is reversed, and you actually over overdeliver, is what's going to make it succeed or fail going forward. Right. Does uh does does Sony getting in the game? I mean I mean it, it's one I keep hearing rumors and and I keep hearing uh new stories about about Sony wanting to get into virtual reality. Will it will will they? Because I I think I don't I I don't have much confidence in them pulling this thing off uh very well. And if if they don't pull it off very well, will that harm? 
the VR as a whole, or will it raise the the bar so low for 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 consumers so that when they try it, holy shit, they get blown away? I, yeah, I mean, it's we sort of have a wait and see attitude. I mean, yeah, um, I'm I'm curious to see what they come up with and um and see see how it feels, um, but. I mean, it could go any number of ways. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's hard to speculate. But I mean, I hope they don't. If they, they launch a terrible product, um, then people would be like, "Oh, Sony's just launching another terrible headset. No big deal. Let's forget about it." Um, and if they launch a decently good product, then it's like, "All right, so now they're now we got a mainstream company, like a really huge, huge company, established player that's taking this seriously too." Mm-hmm. And it would maybe you know have a an, an even more legitimizing effect. I would hope. So, for consumers. So, so Sony is a, is a large collection of people that are broken down into different divisions. And the guys who want to push VR are the, is the small subset of engineers. And they have to collaborate with the game people at Sony to really actually make that happen. What has happened in the past is that the engineers, uh, the hardware guys, put out a headset that they think is cool that then uh, the other parts of Sony just kind of say, oh, yeah, that's nice, and they give them some lip service, and then it kind of dies a quiet death. Sony, as a company, as its corporate culture, doesn't really allow the company to have the right amount of focus to make a truly disruptive product. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're not not like an Apple, uh, Apple, as Apple has done that over the last 20 years. Um, Even Microsoft at at times has more focus, although most of the time they're, they're similar to Sony. Um, so I, I don't. I'm skeptical about Sony actually being able to put it all together because they are they're 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 so fragmented internally, and it's very difficult, you know, as we've seen, to get certain people on the VR train because you have to show them all the v, you know VR stuff individually and kind of convert them. You know, it's almost like a religious mission. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you have enough VR believers within a company working in different departments that come together and finally. Uh, realize that this is something worth doing, then they could they could do it. Yeah, if, if the game and and per, in, in particular if the PlayStation people, if that division falls in love with VR, then they will do it. But if that division does not, then, then they will not. How are you guys accounting for uh, or or is is, is is the fact that that Oculus is that wants to dabble with with Android? Uh, does that uh, is that something that's on your radar? That's something that you guys are thinking well, about? Android is just a platform, so mm-hmm. to us it's a means to an end. Android is. You know, it's an operating system and a set of specifications to work with certain hardware. Um, so same thing with Linux, same thing with Windows. To us, it's all about just delivering the best possible VR experience and making it as simple as possible. So it's just one. To us, it's one more tool in the toolbox. Let's talk about World War Three. Uh, <laughs> oh, the game? Oh yeah, I heard. About that. I don't know, so where I'm getting with this is because I. I um, my, I have this insane idea that I think that uh, with virtual reality we could um, simulate different models of government, and people could go in there and figure out, you know, there could be an anarchist country and it, like a giant civilization game, and then a communist and a, and a capitalist, and then there's one do-it-yourself kind of. Um, because, and the reason why I think about this is like, you know, could VR help humans? figure out new ways of organizing ourselves? That's an interesting question. I mean, the, the communication mediums that are, are used, uh, or communication media, telephone, the internet, uh, newspapers, uh, especially the printing press is a good example. They fundamentally transformed society uh, when the printing press was invented and you had, um, well, if you listen to Hardcore History at all, the, mm-hmm. the thing in, in Hamburg that happened in Germany uh, back when, uh, you know, the time of Martin Luther and, and, and at the point where people could finally start reading the Bible for themselves and having, instead of having uh, it interpreted by the Catholic Church uh, was a point where society naturally started to become more democratic because of the, of the, of the medium of communication. Mm-hmm. So uh, therefore, uh, you know, every subsequent me- medium to one extent or another, the telephone and, and transatlantic communication being a good example, uh, or horses, another good example, um, has allowed society, probably from a government standpoint, to, to be different and, and an organizational standpoint. VR, um, it's interesting to think what that would be. Um, from a communication standpoint, I think people are communicating in a much more 
fundamental and artistic way mm-hmm. using it. So, it, but it's less about pure information. So if I go if I go into VR with you and we're a thousand miles away, we can collaborate on a, on a project that's much more immersive and it's and it's more spatial. The things that we can do and that'll definitely help certain things. It'll probably change how people work with each other a little bit. But the fundamental information we exchange it doesn't change too much. So it'll be a, I think there'll be some tweaks, but yeah. um, but that, that's just kind of far future. Uh, I, yeah, I asked this because I, you know, seeing as you have the situation in Ukraine, you have India and Pakistan, you have North and South Korea, you know, you, these are all nuclear flashpoints. I mean, to a certain extent, you know, Ukraine and Russia, that's never. I don't think that's going to, you know, de- devolve into a nuclear standoff. But but India and Pakistan are that's that's a that's a wild card. Um, and I think about these things because what the fuck humanity like we can do so much better uh and in 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 and so i i figured that this new technology this new way of communicating could could help us model new ways of of again political organization or governing ourselves period um yeah i don't I, I, but i don't know i mean i i think i mean it's all these different technologies that help us communicate in new ways are all built on they're all fundamental you know starting with writing or first starting with language then with writing uh, they're all built on top of each other. So what we're doing is built on top of computing and the internet and a number of other pieces. Mm-hmm. Those pieces need to be in place in those countries. So, uh, you know, in India, you know, there's a lot of people living in poverty. You need to be able to have, for people to have stability, to have uh, easy communication with their neighbors, mm-hmm. standardization of some languages. And, and once you have the, that, that kind of tighter communication and people feel more a little bit more like one world and one culture – uh, you're going to get a, bre- a breakdown of the, you know, the, the potential wars and nuclear flashpoints and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, and I think VR could enhance that, but you definitely have to get the the, the more of the the fundamental levels of, you know, n- n- lack of poverty, a, you know, solid middle class, uh, you know, uh, things like the internet, uh, other communication devices, and then and then VR on top of that would probably just enhance, you know, how we all. Communicate. Another crazy, crazy question. Do you guys think it's possible to start an, an economy inside of VR, a, a, an economy ba- based on a cryptocurrency, uh, decentralized currency, obviously, and uh, people – because this is one of the things that I, I also think about is, you know, there's an article from The Economist saying how by 2050, 47% of all jobs will be automated. And, and I think about where all these – people are going to go for jobs and hopefully they can just relax. Yeah. <laughs> Why yeah. does everybody need a job? Right. Uh, I, I like you. I like you. Yeah. <laughs> Lead the way. Yeah. <laughs> to her, uh, yeah. Hopefully it's not like a zero sum game kind of thing, but I mean, as technology advances, there might be more ways to find more leisure time and less need for, yeah, hopefully we can all work three hours a day. I mean, isn't that what all the robots are supposed to be there for? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, James, you can you, you have some experience with cryptocurrency. Yeah, I mean, I have my mining rig set up right there, actually. I, what? I have three GPUs. I'm actually mining cryptocurrency. What kind of cryptocurrency are you mining, James? I, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I am mining Gaben coin, which is the official currency of our Lord and Savior, Gabe Newell. What? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, uh, and it's going to be the currency of the future, and... You better get on it. I, I'm, I'm uh, okay. Well, thank you for uh, giving me a heads up on that. What, what cryptocurrency? Is something that fascinates me. What's your take on What's your take on Bitcoin? Because there's, and, and you know, I, might, I get into uh, discussions with my girlfriend. She's telling me like, no, it's gonna die off, and I'm like, no, you gotta believe it's not. It, it, right. Give it a chance. It's not it, the, the whole Matt, Matt, Matt Fox thing was was not a big deal. I think. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, you gotta be careful with cryptocurrency because it's, it obviously it fluctuates so much, and if one marketplace closes, then the price drops, you know, by 50 percent, then it's up by 200 percent the week later, and so you can't like freak out too much about the oscillation. But eventually, as more Bitcoin gets mined, and um, we get closer to having all of the Bitcoins being mined, and we transition more over to pure trading, mm-hmm. that's when it, it'll become uh, less. Uh, it'll fluctuate less and become more of a of a tradable value with the with the with the U.S. dollar and with other. With Bitcoin, the, first, the most important thing is understanding what the hell it is and why it's important, um, because right. most people don't understand that. Uh, it's kind of it's hard to understand, but you can kind of use the analogy of um, 
how do people trade money at all online, right? How is their money not just stolen? How do you have your money's a number on a database somewhere? How do, how do you have it so people don't just take that and you're screwed, right? Magnets, um, how do they fucking work, man? I don't know. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly like that. It's um, So the, the key there, the key technology, in my opinion, that makes a lot of those legitimate internet uses run is RSA, right? Is uncrackable encryption. Right, and, yeah, and the, every, tra- uh, every transaction is encrypted when you... Like when you get more uh, coins in your wallet from when you're mining with the blue one and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, but th- th- I'm just using this as an analogy. So when right. you want to buy something online with your credit card, that 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 transaction's encrypted. It's not encrypted by a trust, uh, so or an entity um, like uh, you know, there's trust involved and in, in, in kind of uh, verifications they use to make sure that a website's legit. But underlying all of that is simply an al- uh, an algorithm, a way of of making your data secure so it can't be cracked. Bitcoin is the same way, where it's a, uh, it's essentially has, there's no central power. It's a way, it's it's a way of decentralizing stability instead of centralizing it. So if you go back to the Roman Empire, the British Empire, or the American Empire of today, those are usually the the American military is the power that stabilizes a lot of the world economy so it can trade. So you know, so you actually same thing. It's what the police do when you're walking around and you're not, you know, you're worried someone's not going to rob you. Well, Bitcoin is the same way for currency, but it's able to to decentralize that and and kind of um, uh, do the same thing that BitTorrent does uh, as far as uh, kind of decentralizing the data transfer. Bitcoin decentralizes um, the kind of uh, fluctuations in the market. So theoretically, that allows you to have a much more stable market. And if China, something happen, horrible happens to China, something horrible happens to the United yeah, States, the entire world those, doesn't collapse. Right. When yeah. you, when you have uh, the big currencies of the world pegged to the dollar, pegged to you know whatever, that has the possibility for volatility. Yeah. So theoretically, if you're able to distribute volatility using something like Bitcoin, then you won't have volatility. So it's a way. It's kind of just a way of open sourcing money. Right. That's basically. that's the economic theory, at least. I mean, ironically, right now. Now, the way people are making money on Bitcoin is by selling it in exchange for the U.S. dollar. Mm-hmm. So the big, you know, you know, if, if you want to be a millionaire from Bitcoin, then you trade it off mm-hmm. and you get U.S. dollars in your bank account, mm-hmm. which you know that means the Bitcoin itself is pegged to the to the U.S. dollar in that case. Yeah. Um, so the the idea is for that to be the reverse eventually, where the U.S. dollar is more volatile and Bitcoin is actually safer. Um, but you know, but there's also a lot of dangers inherent in in these kind of systems, like if you, you know, like if you go on the Tor network and you, and you buy stuff off of like Silk Road, for instance, like mm-hmm. they have all kinds of illegal things on Silk Road. It's and, awesome. And there's people who are taking, you know, <laughs> they're, Allegedly. they're hiring assassins mm-hmm. and they're, you know, trafficking drugs and all this kind of stuff. That's obviously the biggest fear of, of governments is mm-hmm. for there to be a very simple, easy way to, you know, carry out assassinations, for instance. Or or is is it their biggest fear, or is it that their currency will eventually become ir- irrelevant? Well, that's, yeah, obviously, yeah. From, that, from an economic standpoint, that's an even bigger fear. Yeah. Um, but from a, you know, from a, a martial law standpoint mm-hmm. with, with, like, the police, obviously mm-hmm. they want to minimize the, the simplicity of crime. And, and the way I see Bitcoin moving forward is just... It, it, probably people will keep their own currencies, because I think they realize with the euro that it was a bad idea, because it's less... Uh, it's too centralized. So you probably have Bitcoin, people keeping money in Bitcoin and in their own currencies just as a backup. Right, right. And that's probably how it's going to evolve over time to make everything more stable. It's all about stability. Right, so you hedge your bets. So speaking of stability, I, in my in my world, in, my, in the universe of my mind, I, I think it's just a matter of time before the Chinese real estate bubble collapses and, and pops and it brings down the whole world economy or the dollar that is that is pegged to, the, to oil is... I mean, because I, I, it, it's not... Forever, and, you know, oil's gonna run out. Talking about peak oil. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Eventually, I don't know when, but it's it's gonna happen. Yeah. And so, why uh, why should we adopt uh Bitcoin? And and so yeah, why 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 should we adopt Bitcoin if if uh, I mean I guess well I mean if if you're afraid of your government and overly inflating your currency for political purposes. Mm-hmm. Then you'd probably want to have a universal currency in place that mm-hmm. isn't subject to that. So that's you know. So there's certainly um, you know there's a very individ- individualistic concern there because there's been plenty of instances where governments have completely just bombed yeah. by just inflation. But you know there's there's other reasons too, of course. But how do you how do you how does Bitcoin combat the banking cartels, the Federal Reserve, the Eurozone? How do how do they 
How, how does Bitcoin get past these well, these already so established? Basically, over time, the amount of Bitcoins that can exist or that exist, um, it goes up, but it goes up slower and slower and slower. And eventually, all the Bitcoins that are that can be mined will be mined. Mm -hmm. There will be a flat number of Bitcoins. Mm -hmm. And so right. there, there and is the, no Federal Reserve. That's the maximum no, number that you can have. Is once it's all mined, that's it. What? You know, so like the, the the Federal Reserve is almost a misnomer. They you know they they call it a reserve as if like oh we have this like reserve of money that you know if we really need it we can take it out and there's a limited amount of it. But no, it's not a Federal Reserve. It's a federal like money factory, mm -hmm. and it's just literally it's just a, a a giant machine that just prints money. That's really its only purpose. Well, the federal government it's a, it, basically the federal government can take your money in two ways. Uh, which of course is worse necessary, um, but uh, it can tax you, and then it can also print more money, which in 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 the way the system works, devalues the money that you already have. Right. Uh, right. Right. And it's uh, you and know, that's so why we keep going into debt and, and and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, like once you're done mining, in the same way that you can't, you know, go off and, and mine gold uh, mm -hmm. as much anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's still obviously there's there's places to, that you could mine gold, but it's not you know 1849 anymore in California. Yeah. It's not the gold rush. Um, that's the same kind of metaphor that is going on here. Is you there's a certain subset of of bitcoins that you can you can mine like different blocks, and then once all the blocks are done being mined, then that's it. There's no more mining. Is there a way for them to sh turn off the water tap on Bitcoin to, to shut it down if they if they if they really wanted to if they felt that they were like oh shit we're well, becoming well, there's, 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 no, there's no they right so the system is completely decentralized uh, so there's not you clever people you <laughs> exactly that's what it's all about it's there just like no, but what, it's like saying can we shut down BitTorrent it's yeah right. it's it's just you'd have to bring down the whole internet and then eventually Bitcoin yep. is gonna is gonna reach its own artificial intelligence and become self-aware god damn and it and then it's gonna launch all the it's gonna be self-aware it's, it's gonna be really nice though it's, it's gonna, gonna be, be oh, yeah, okay. it's gonna be like totally chill when it's it's, it's gonna launch it's a bunch like, of bombs full of rainbows and flowers and yeah. and remove inflation and poverty from my favorite kind of bombs <laughs> that is that no the, the whole question of bitcoin is it's just mind-blowing how the, this world is is heading in this direction um it's all I, powered by the internet you know it's powered by that really quick communication where uh, and the internet know, itself isn't even really a thing either i mean it's it's all it's it, also a decent it's brain. kind of the internet's like one it's giant brain that's like <laughs> one thousandth the, as powerful as one human brain but it's still pretty powerful but yeah. but oh, but that's <laughs> i mean that's a wow that's a big number um but in terms of what's happening with the whole NSA thing and how you know the, you got Brazil and you got places like in Germany, they're they're talking about dividing the internet, cutting the internet into pieces. It, would that affect Bitcoin? Having I think it affects transactions and it yeah. could affect marketplaces. But yeah. um, and and by doing that, it could affect the value of Bitcoin. Mm. But in terms of people to, it, I guess in terms of the ability of people to to get their hands on it, um, I mean, I, I suppose you could. You could close the doors as as a government. I believe actually that was as as either threatened to happen in China or did happen in China. Well, I mean, yeah, the Great Chinese Firewall, uh, the Great Firewall of China. Right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, as far as Bitcoin goes, I mean, I guess you could have sub currencies that only work. And there's so many other cryptocurrencies out there that aren't Bitcoin. There's hundreds. Mm -hmm. um, Gavin so, being the second best one. Gavin so. being the second. Can you please explain do do dog coin? Doge, 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 Doge coin, please. It's a it's another cryptocurrency that's uh, it's actually based off on a, on a different. Uh, um, it's coded differently than Bitcoin is, so you can't mine it with ASIC hardware. Okay. Um, so you can't use ASICs. So you can only use GPUs. Um, but that's really the only fundamental difference. I mean, there's still a there's a, a a trading value between Bitcoin and, and, and Dogecoin and Litecoin. And depending on what, how those values are fluctuating, you might you want to change your mining rig to, to mining different things. So if you have like a whole array of mining rigs in like a giant facility, sometimes some days you'll be mining Litecoin, some days you'll be mining uh, Dogecoin. It depends on, on whatever is has the highest value in the, in the given, at the given point in time. So, so I apologize for my ignorance, but so Dogecoin is not satire. It is a legit... It is satire, but it's also a currency. Okay. It's, it's almost poking fun at the idea of of currency itself. Because that Shiba Inu thing, it just fucking it's hilarious. Me yeah, <laughs> it's totally hilarious. But it because it's so funny because that's how cryptocurrency works. Is is like when when we started mining gold as human beings in ancient civilizations, we started using that shiny stuff to trade for goods. 
we were ascribing value to that gold as a currency. And it's the same with dollars. Because we, as people, use it and, and trade it for, for services and, and goods, we inherently are giving it value just by using it. So, so currency gains value through use, and that's how it works with cryptocurrency. So if you have a currency that has a really funny meme like Doge, people are going to want to use it because it's funny, yeah. not because they <laughs> think it's valuable. Currency on the internet is humor. Humor right, so so you can actually hack the, the the value process by creating something that's humorous, um, because people want to start using it not because they think it has value, but because they think it's hilarious. Yeah, and then it actually gains value. Yeah, so it's almost like a twisted way. It's working. That it could only work with cryptocurrency because you obviously you wouldn't do that with real printed money because it'd be too expensive of an experiment. But um, but yeah, it's it's just it's a funny. Very strange outlier. That's when you, the funny thing you said, how cur- humor is currency on the internet. I almost became a pastafarian, a, uh, <laughs> a, a, de- a devotee of the church of the... Uh, Flying gi- spaghetti monster. Yeah, giant spaghetti monster. Yeah, yeah. Nice, um, nice. But That's great. It's hilarious. I, I love this, 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 how this internet thing is uh, changing the world, really. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. Servios, uh Two scholars and gentlemen of virtual reality, uh, Nathan Verba, James Lift. You guys <laughs> have been good. amazing. Once again, uh, I can't wait to have you back on the show. It's been it's been a blast. I I ran out of awesomes to say <laughs> for your. Infinite got awesome. a few like super duper super good awesomes. <laughs> super kamehameha awesomes. Which is yeah. yeah yeah you never really know, but there's there's a lot of awesomes in there. What's that What's that tool that you have in Dragon Ball Z that like. That like reads your. It's power. over nine thousand. Uh, yeah, what's that thing the, called? The, the, I think it's the key meter. I don't know. I'm totally that. blanking out. Yeah, but yeah. I need I need one of those for awesomes. Yeah. <laughs> that's basically. That's just explodes. Too awesome. That's uh, <laughs> <so laughs> hilarious. How can so how can people get to stay in touch with you guys? Uh, keep following what you're doing. Uh, stay in, t- in tune with your announcements. Uh, all that good stuff. Check yeah. out our website, servios.com. Yeah, there's a newsletter. Sign up. Uh, we haven't been doing. Uh, a whole lot of frequent newsletters yet, but you can certainly uh, stay in touch that way. And then also, of course, email us at and, at info at servios.com or, or James or Nathan at servios. And just practice your game development skills because, you know, this stuff is coming. You just get ready. Get ready to, to make some really cool content. Get ready to try some really cool content. Awesome. Yeah, sure. It's, it's, how about, uh, so I take it you, you're uh, going to start looking for developers sometime in the future to hire. Uh, uh, and then, but also, how can... Uh, when when is the next time that people are going to be able to try out this in public, like your your hard, your software hardware in public? Um, well, yeah, I mean we've been going to a lot of the SFVR and, and SVVR meetups, um, so probably another another meetup. We we definitely try to make those as much as we can. Definitely. Um, once again, thanks, you guys. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. thanks yeah. so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah.